Hi, it's Joe Lowry. I am in Tokyo, Japan, where I've been、uh, most of the week attending Battery Japan. I am going to、uh, summarize some of the key learnings that I had from the event and various meetings I had. But I can't、uh, really do this podcast without acknowledging、uh, the elephant in the room, which is the coronavirus and the impact it certainly had on this event, which I've characterized as being sparsely attended. But really, in fairness, there were still a lot of people here. It's just compared to other years,、uh, this is a massive event. And、uh, I would say there's.、Uh, it, For the times I was in the building, it seemed like there was less than a quarter of the normal crowd.、Uh, so that had an impact, but it serves as a precursor to me for what's going to play out the next few months. And I'll give you some of my thoughts、uh, on that as we go through the various topics. But I think, you know, just six weeks or so ago, I was putting together my final numbers for.、Uh, 2019 and looking at 2020 and expecting a, a pretty pretty good year growth wise, and I have to scrap all that、uh, because you know the the virus has to be acknowledged. The fact that it's in so many countries now, and、uh, I got a lot of notes of concern from people that were worried that I was even coming here. And some of the pictures I put up, I didn't have a mask on and. I'm not a big mask guy. This was the first time, even though I lived through SARS here, I lived through the avian flu here.、Uh, I never put on a mask back then.、Uh, the event organizers here asked everybody in the in the event to wear a mask, so、uh, I complied.、Uh, my some of my friends were very worried that you know should I even stay until my plan indicated, which is I'm gonna. Fly home. Plan to fly home tomorrow, Sunday, but I kept getting、uh, messages urging me to get out while I still could. So I didn't see it as that dramatic, but it has to be acknowledged that this coronavirus is going to have a big impact on supply chains around the world, and we'll get into that a little bit. So I'm also going to talk about the new LFP technology we're hearing about that both. You know, BYD and Tesla plan to employ. I have mentioned it in previous episodes or in writings on LinkedIn to a small extent, but we'll get into it a little more deeply today. And it's just another、uh, sign that this massive move、uh, to high nickel eight one one is、uh, overblown. So. With that, I will start going through the topics, and、uh, I've been talking a lot this week, so you'll have to forgive my rough-sounding voice.、Um, and with that, let's go to the first topic. There was a lot of discussion this week about lithium iron phosphate.、Uh, I have been saying for a long time、uh, that the Death of lithium iron phosphate as an EV cathode has been greatly exaggerated, and now there is more evidence that that was in fact correct. And so I'll talk about two different aspects of that. In、uh, mid January, BYD announced their new blade battery, where lithium iron phosphate cathode is used. But they have a new architecture for 
the pack that uh, doesn't require a module. So in that space, the space that was taken up by the module infrastructure can be used to have more lithium iron phosphate, making higher energy density in a given space. And they're talking about a 50% higher energy density versus traditional LFP batteries, which is obviously quite significant. And once that goes into mass production, which is was originally slated to happen in March, you know, we should see that um, BYD has a better product that has a longer range and it should be good news because obviously if you follow this, lithium iron phosphate is a lower cost cathode than the uh, high nickel products. And so if you're able to put 50% more energy density in the given space in low and mid-end electric vehicles, that is extremely significant because it takes the cost uh, per kilowatt hour down to around 100 or a little bit below $100, which is kind of the holy grail of where things get really competitive just on a straight up basis versus internal combustion engines. So, okay, we've got a, we've got a statement from BYD. As I've said in many times, they're often given to uh, declaring victory early. So there is some cynicism. But then in the last couple of weeks, we've also heard from Tesla that um, they're planning on doing a similar battery to what BYD is talking about with CATL and that this would enable the Model 3 to still be a premium vehicle, a Tesla, but at a lower price point, uh, which is going to probably... Uh, create demand at the you know, kind of the middle range. So now Tesla is not just for the wealthy anymore or, you know, people with, with the highest levels of disposable income. You're really kind of turning it into uh, um, the Volkswagen Beetle of EVs. I know Tesla lovers probably won't like that analogy, but, you know, the point, the point being that this is brilliant on the part of Elon Musk to – finally be able to uh, raise his level of production, which further lowers his costs and uh, creates a much bigger market for Tesla vehicles. And, and he's also, because the Tesla brand has cachet, it's going to be able to be sold at a premium over the competitive offerings. And so I'm I am pretty excited about that for a number of reasons, but uh, I also, you know, I'm very happy that um, LFP will live on. It's good news for brine producers because the LFP cathode in this case is going to use lithium carbonate. And uh, so this long talked about transition to um, high nickel cathodes it has another uh, negative uh, in the in the narrative. And as I've said many times, and if you listen to the podcast regularly, you've heard it uh, probably more than you'd like. But I've always said that 811 is overhyped. It will grow. 
but it's not going to take over and hydroxide is not going to take over the lithium market with respect to uh, EV batteries. And this is just more evidence that um, we're going to have a balanced market going forward. And I'm very, uh, I think it's, I think it's good news all the way around unless you're uh, a hydroxide producer who was one of the, you know, one of the projects that, decided that, okay, we're just going to make hydroxide and we're not going to be balanced and have carbonate and hydroxide. I think uh, the top four lithium producers have all put strategies in place to have both products. Uh, I think that's the right way to go. And uh, I think if you're a converter that doesn't uh, have plans for carbonate capacity, uh, you might want to rethink your strategy. In addition to the LFP aspect of this story, I had separate conversations just on the continued struggle of many of those who are trying to make 811 that they they really can't do it as originally planned. They're having to back off a little on the nickel and use aluminum to dope. So, I mean, why these companies didn't just make the strategic decision to make NCA, I have no idea. It, it seemed a bit like stubbornness, uh, but again, um, I don't want to uh, beat the horse to death. Uh, I think we're the L, the new LFP product is going to provide for continued balance in the industry between lithium carbonate demand and lithium hydroxide demand, which I think is good news for the industry. So with that, I think we will move on to another topic. Before I go into the next topic, I just wanted to uh, say that today is the 20-year anniversary, February 29th of 2000. I brought my family uh, to Kobe, Japan, where we lived uh, for five and a half years before then moving on to Shanghai for five and a half years. So in 11 years, um, I really developed the relationships and some of the skills that enabled me to start Global Lithium and have the business that I have today. Uh, I already had 10 years of lithium experience uh, when I moved here, but uh, had I not been willing to take the the risk to uh, uproot my family, and, you know, I very well had understood that, you know, most of the time, if you have a long expat assignment, when uh, you go back to your home country, you've changed a lot. The company's changed a lot. And, you know, there's more than a 50 percent attrition rate of uh, long term expats that repatriate. And uh, I certainly was among those statistics. But uh I did at this point want to thank my former employer, which was FMC Lithium at the time. It's now called Livent, because them enabling me to live overseas for that length of time really changed my life and the life of my children and my wife. And uh, if uh, you know you, I just would would throw that out there that if any of you listeners are pondering. Uh, overseas assignments, I would only say one thing, and that's do it. Grab the experience, and uh, it, you won't regret it. 
or in most cases, you won't regret it. So with that, um, I just, uh, you know, wanted to take you down memory lane and I will now move on to talk about the coronavirus and all other things. Beginning a couple of weeks ago, I started to get emails and phone calls uh, from friends uh, who, some of whom had anticipated attending Battery Japan, but it canceled. And, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of com- people that work for big companies, the companies started to get nervous about uh, travel, certainly to China, but then travel to Asia in general, with the thought being that the surrounding countries were probably more likely uh, to have issues with the coronavirus. So what's happened? Um you know, we all know now that, you know, South Korea had one uh, one city uh, outside of Seoul that had a massive bunch of cases and uh, that became a major story. Uh, we've seen the U.S. airlines that had stopped flying to cities in China. Now, Delta yesterday announced that they weren't going to fly to uh, Seoul for a while. Uh, so you know things are things are ratcheting up, but then we also, if you're if you're following this, and I think everybody who listens to this podcast probably is following this, uh, you've seen Italy become a really a infection center in Europe. You've got you know cases all over the world, several dozen countries now deaths, uh, which are still you know the highest in in China, but there's certainly a significant amount of deaths happening. Uh, in other places. So what does that mean uh, for lithium, since this is a lithium podcast, and for the EV supply chain and just in general for supply chains? And unfortunately, from my perspective, I can only speculate now because it's really too early to tell. We're kind of living through uh, the end of the beginning, as my friend Chris Reed likes to say. And I I'm not sure that he first coined that. I'm actually pretty sure he didn't, but it's where I heard it first. So shout out to uh, Chris Berry. Sorry, I get that name right. Um, you know, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Tokyo, Japan. I look out onto the street and I see almost everybody's got a mask on now. And uh, Japan has... Is closing schools for the entire month of March, uh, or at least that's what the prime minister has asked for. Um, what I'm seeing from a practical standpoint is that just, you know, one of the things that I do is I move a little bit of lithium product around the world. And uh, I have seen my shipments trying to go out of China that, uh, were first delayed because production ramp-ups are, are slow after Chinese New Year with all the protocols put in to make sure workers going back to work are healthy. Uh, the ramp-ups are slow. I talked to a number of different uh, people this week uh, that talked to that issue. Um, but then there's second and third order effects of this whole virus thing. And in, in my particular case, um, the shipment I had uh, is not going to be delayed as long as it is because there is no production of lithium chemicals. It's because 
the producer can't get the proper bag. And I think you're going to start to see all sorts of those different uh, aspects play out. We've seen announcements during this week that auto production has been stopped at plants in both Japan and Korea because they can't get some of the parts they need that come out of China. You've got logistics aspects. You've got you know all sorts of problems here. And because we're sitting here early on and can't see how bad this is going to get, say, in the United States or Europe, uh, you know, we don't know what the long-term impact is going to be. But what I'm guessing is we at least lose, we lose, for sure lose a quarter. We probably lose two in terms of uh, it being uh, a real uh, negative. And if we have no growth or if we have a shrinking market, for two quarters, technically that's a recession. You know, what we've seen in the stock market in the last few days has also been telling. Uh, as I normally do on Saturday mornings, I was looking at the Financial Times and it's there's a lot of coronavirus uh, headlines. Uh, U.S. stocks closed lower again for the worst week since 2008. There's a lot of comparisons now to what's going on in the financial markets today to the global financial crisis and whether we, we have something of that magnitude is, is certainly uh, yet to play out. So as I look at 2020 and my optimism of just a few weeks ago that we'd have 45,000 metric tons of LCE growth, plus or minus five, because it's I always like to put a, a range in there. Uh, I believe it's probably going to be halved, if not worse. And it's just too early for me to tell why. So when I, you know, I usually speak at some different events between uh, March and the end of June and putting together my prognostications for that is, is probably going to be last minute because it's really, really too hard to tell right now. And uh, but uh, this this is a global phenomena that uh, is is certainly uh, not going to make 2020 uh, a real positive year in lithium. The silver lining in my mind is that even if this is a two-quarter event, I believe when it's over that most of the demand for, for instance, electric vehicles or smartphones. If you were going to buy an iPhone before and you held off because of the crisis and uncertainty, you're probably going to get that phone later on in the year. Same thing with a with an EV buy. Uh, I am planning on buying an EV this year. I'm just having my uh, electricity in my garage upgraded next week in uh, kind of uh, preamble to uh, hopefully buying a Tesla uh, because I think it's probably the best option. Um, but, you know, the, the purchases I think will get made. It's just it, this is more a timing difference for lithium than it is a permanent destruction of demand. This is not like the uh, unsold airline seat that it's lost forever. I think this is most uh, mostly a pushing around of the timing of demand. Uh, I also think that the way this is playing out is actually going to usher in 
uh, spike in spot lithium chemical prices in China sooner than would have otherwise happened because what we're seeing now is that not only do cathode producers have low inventories of lithium chemicals, that uh, lithium producers have a low level of finished goods inventory. And, uh, you know, you could say that, well, that's okay because demand is going to be ramped down uh, in the near term. And while that may be true, I think there's going to be stimulus, especially in China when this is all over, and that um, there'll be kind of a panic buying uh, situation like we saw in 2015 to 2016 when we had the last major lithium price spike. There are very smart people out there that uh, the Goldman Sachs of the world, and, and I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek, they're, they're very smart people, uh, that have prognosticated before the coronavirus started that we were kind of at the end of the end of the negative part of the lithium price cycle. We'd probably, if not bottom, gotten very near the bottom. Uh, one of my favorite analysts, Jingwen Sun in China, has stated that he thought that Chinese New Year was basically hitting it at around Chinese New Year. The the spot prices in China were bottoming, and you know I've I've made my statement clear that I thought we were close to the bottom, uh, but that we would stay along the bottom for a while. And you know this is obviously a complicating factor to that analysis, but I think that once you see that both the Cathode makers have low inventory and the producers of lithium chemicals they need have low inventories that you're setting up a perfect storm for a price spike. And uh, so that, you know, it's not wishful thinking on my part because I think, I mean, if right now, if we look at pricing in Japan and pricing in Korea, I mean, there it's between nine and 10,000 right now for carbonate and 12 to 14 for hydroxide those are very livable prices so we don't we don't have to have a major change uh to to make the industry uh, healthy you know we still do have the problem in spodumene i talked to two western australian uh, spodumene producers this week and if you pay close attention to my social media uh, you probably know who they were but uh since i didn't talk to them about mentioning their names on this podcast, I will uh, not do so. But, you know, the the WA producers are still in a tough uh, situation and, you know, they can't really, the, the you know, the current price between say 420 and 450 isn't tenable for the new guys. Uh, and, you know, so we have to, we'll have to see how that plays out. But my point has always been that spodumene precursor pricing, yes, it has an impact on the chemicals cost curve, but the pricing certainly, you know, can go north and south at the same time, that being that the chemical price can start to go north while the uh, spodumene price has still got downward pressure on it because of the excess uh, inventory right now. And, uh, talking to some well-informed people from China, uh, you know, the estimate of what's currently in inventory in spodumene, uh, 5.5 to 6% grade in China is 
probably a little over 600,000 tons. And, you know, it sounds like a big number. It is a pretty big number. But if you put it in the context of global LCE demand, I think a lot of times people make the mistake of only putting it into the context of, well, China's demand is this, therefore there's, you know, six or eight months of inventory there. Well, it's not really the right way to look at it, in my opinion, because China ships exports a lot of lithium chemical products around the world, particularly to the battery markets of Korea and Japan. So you kind of need to look at the spodumene inventory of the converters in China in the global context, not in the just China only context. So anyway, these are, this has been just kind of some stream of consciousness thoughts on you know, what I heard and learned here, uh, you know, and obviously some of the really good stuff I don't put on the podcast because I have clients and um, I I try to uh, make the podcast meaningful, but uh, I probably learned a few things here that uh, I won't be able to talk about publicly uh, for a while. And the more prescient of my listeners understand what I'm talking about. So anyway, I am going to go for a walk now. It's a beautiful day in Tokyo and I've only got about 24 more hours here. So with that, I am going to say, we'll see you next time. This has been another edition of the Global Lithium Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Global Lithium or on LinkedIn under Joe Lowry. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.